So, uh, like I said, hi, I'm Olivia. I'm not the, uh, the normal person that like preaches, that's normally Pastor Chris. I normally hang out with uh, the kids and the youth. And so it's like my obligation to start off with something that is borderline cringy, because that's what happens. So we're going to do a get-to-know-you question. So everybody, find somebody in your row or behind your row, a new face or a less familiar face, I mean, not a blood relative, um, and share with them if you were king or queen or a royal individual for a day, what would you do first? Great. I'm looking forward to your answer. Awesome. Go ahead. Do you like it for like two minutes, please? Let's go ahead and reconvene, my friends. Well done. I hope you learned something about somebody in the row. Maybe a little surprise to you. So we're, we're talking about the day because it's Epiphany Sunday. We'll get there. First, a, a little bit about me. Uh, like I said, I'm the Family Ministries Director here. I'm the daughter of a United Methodist pastor. Uh, the family joke is that the one thing I wasn't allowed to be was a pastor. So today, you are witnessing my teenage rebellion. So keep that in there. Um, the other thing you should know about me is that right before I came to this job, I was working at a Camp and Retreat Center, um, a United Methodist Camp and Retreat Center. Some pictures of that. Um, I did that job for about 10 years, which feels like a long time because it is. Um, and when I worked there, uh, I learned that I'm great at talking with kids, but I'm not really nervous for today because... Talking with kids is way harder than talking to adults because you all will not be very direct with me. If you guys don't like what I say today, you will not say it to my face. You will talk about it in the car ride home. You'll never say to me, kids, different story. For example, when I worked at Gretna Glen, um, I started as like an 18-year-old kid. I was very concerned with being the greatest camp counselor, Bible teacher ever. And I really wanted like people to know that I was great at it, and to my credit, I, like, did work hard at it, but I also relied on maybe a little bit too much natural charisma to, like, carry me through. And there was one day, I'm 18 years old, I'm leading a bunch of, like, I don't know, six-year-olds, talking about something in the Bible, and I'm just like, whoa, I'm in the zone, like, the spirit is moving, and I was like, these kids' lives are forever changed by the words coming out of my mouth, and I was like, I'm gonna look back on this moment and think, like, this is where really made my mark. And um, a young boy, he, like, puts his hand up, stops me mid-sentence, and says, oh. I say, oh, yeah, what? I'm thinking, like, oh, this, I'm getting feedback. Like, this is great. Kids don't talk to you. Like and he goes, um, Olivia, it does not seem like you know what you're talking about. Like, dead-eyed me and said it. So don't worry. I've gotten better since then. Um, and I'm a little bit less concerned, hopefully, with being great and just, like, doing a good job. But um, that's a little bit about me. It's Epiphany Sunday today. That is the, the Sunday that we, we celebrate the coming of the Magi. Uh, it's also the final Sunday of Christmas, so take all the decorations in. This is it. They're going away after this. Uh, Pastor Chris has been sharing some of her favorite Christmas movies with us like over the last thing, so I thought I would tell you about my favorite Christmas movie. It might be a little controversial. 
My favorite Christmas movie of all time, this is genuinely true, this is not a bit, this is real life, is the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, <laughs> uh, I watch it every year around Christmas. Jake took a, Jake is my husband. Uh, he took a day off work for our Christmas day, and we put in the first DVD, and we just watched the extended editions with commentary for the, the whole day. It's 11, it's over 11 hours of content. I love them. I read these books at least once every five years in their entirety. I've gotten through the Cimmerillion, which is a very nerdy thing to do. If you know what that is, you should be impressed. If you don't know what that is, don't look it up because it's nerdy. Um, part of the reason that I love The Lord of the Rings is because it's just such a great story. And so if you're not familiar with it, I'm going to do my best to give you like a three-sentence summary, okay? So, the Dark Lord Sauron has created an evil ring of power, and it's up to a small ragtag band of heroes called the Fellowship of the Ring, right? It's a wizard, uh, it's a dwarf, an elf, two men, just normal dudes, but one of them is the son of a steward, and one of them's the once-and-future king, and four little hobbits, they're the ones that you've seen with, like, the hairy feet, to, uh, to save the day, to destroy the ring, and to save all of Middle-earth, which is where the story takes place. Uh, and everything is going great um, until the fellowship has to separate, and then, like, battles and bravery and, like, last hero stands and hilarity ensue. Um, and eventually, spoilers, everything's okay. And it's all thanks to that tiny little guy. He's looked very menacing, but that's Frodo. He saves the day. Behind him in the chainmail with the sword, that's Aragorn. And I love the character of Aragorn. He's my, like, one of my favorite characters. He's a king who's, like, reluctant. He's a good guy, um, but he kind of learns over the course of the story how to be a good king and what it means to be good and great. And uh, I share that with you mostly because I just think everybody, you know, that's your homework. Go home and watch 11 hours of content. Always the extended editions. Um, but the reason that I love that story and why I watch it every year is because I really like stories. And I think that's why I like talking to kids. And I like uh, hearing something over and over again and letting it find new meaning within myself. And that's kind of how I approach the Bible. So when I was thinking about all the things I need to share with you today, I reread the story of Epiphany. And let me tell you, the Magi are great. Um, they are uh, not actually kings, which I think most of us probably know. And there's cool traditions that surround this day. They would have been like people that watch the stars. Uh, and there's a lot of cake involved with this holiday, which is fun. But we're not going to talk about the, the Magi today, the three kings. I thought we would talk about two other characters that kind of struck me as I read it. Um, Matthew starts off this story. He, like, does the chronology, not chronology, genealogy of Jesus. And then he gets right into introducing us to two um, men in this story who don't often get enough hype. So we're going to talk about them today. Uh, we're going to talk about King Herod the Great and Joseph, the father of Jesus, who really are at the center of the story. The Magi kind of, like, come in and come out. But it's really about these two men and their reaction to Jesus. So we're going to start by looking at King Herod. So the first scripture we're going to read is from Matthew 2, 1 through 8. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judah, during the time of King Herod, the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. 
When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. He had called together all the people's chiefs, priests, and teachers of the law. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means less among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. Okay. We kind of know, because we hear this story every year, that Herod has no intention of worshiping baby Jesus. So let's get a little context on King Herod. Uh, Herod was called Herod the Great. That was very important to him. He actually would have, like, coins minted every, like, year of his reign that reemphasized his greatness. Um, he grew up the son of a governor in Judah, and he became an ambitious visionary who achieved uh, not merely, like, the position of governor, but then, obviously, rose to king. He ruled Palestine for 37 years, which is a long stint in ancient Israel. Um, he was really great at leading armies. He had amazing skill, and he really had a knack for working politics, kind of connivingly. Uh, the interesting thing about Herod that I found is that the reason that he kind of gained the fame and the title of the great isn't actually because of those things. It's because he was just a masterful visionary when it came to building projects. He really knew how to motivate his people. Uh, he uh, built the magnificent Temple of Jerusalem. Um, the ancient people had said, he who has not seen the Temple of Herod has never seen a beautiful building. High, high praise. Um, he is also sort of known for getting what he wants. There's a lot of historical records of him being um, really seeking out prestige, and acclaim, wealth, power, very directly. We know that to keep what he wants, by the time we sort of like meet him here, he will execute and murder a lot of people, including 45 members of the Jewish Sanhedrin, his wife's brother, his wife, uh, his mother-in-law, his uh, three sons, because he was afraid of them overtaking him, um, and then he will go on to, at the end of the story, kill all the male children in Bethlehem under the age of two. Not a nice guy. By the time we meet Herod uh, in this New Testament story, he is near the end of his reign, and he really is portrayed um, as defensive and dishonest and self-centered, hypocritical. He definitely is fearful of this message of Jesus coming, being greater than him. And uh, yeah. He kind of lies and is cruel and sort of does what he needs to do to keep the greatness that he has. We have one king, Herod the Great. Now, interestingly, get ready for this. Joseph, also born into a royal line. Uh, Joseph is uh, born into the true line of David. Uh, he doesn't have any visions. There's not really is, is like kings at this time, but he will become a father to a king. And his reaction to his son king, very different than Herod. Um, he's from Nazareth, which is uncelebrated, looked down upon kind of town. This is a picture um, of Joseph as portrayed in The Chosen, which is a show that myself and Pastor Chris would both say you should go watch. Um, and it does a good job of showing that Joseph's not really uh, coming from a place of prestige. You know, we, we talked a lot a couple weeks ago about how can good things come out of Nazareth? Um, 
Matthew describes Joseph as a good and righteous man, a son of David and a carpenter. He's the husband of Mary, and there's some historic accounts of him having some more sons and daughters later in the story. He's a carpenter. He is also a visionary builder. Gets a lot of prestige biblically for being a, a, a builder, a carpenter. He also is a dreamer, but his dreams are not like of great power. They're given to him by God. And we'll hear as we sort of go down that he pays attention to his dreams. That's kind of what we're going to talk about. So let's look at these two men in context. The things that I found that were similar, right? They're both born into a royal line. They are both builders by trade. Both are dreamers. They both get to hear about Jesus through the words of the prophets. First, even though an angel comes to Joseph, he would have been studying these words as well. He would have heard the same thing that Herod heard. And they both get given a starring role in Jesus' story. Okay, so it's not a one-for-one, like they're the same person. But it's, there are some commonalities there, and this is what I like doing. I like pretending I'm in English class and finding the commonalities between characters. Uh, I'm really just outing myself as a massive nerd, which is fine. Um, like I said, this is what I like to do with the Bible. I like to think of it about the story that it is. Find the characters, find where they were, find where they're going. And here we have two men that really, barring a few distinctions, probably have a lot in common. They're in the same place, around the same time, and I'm sure that if they wanted to, they could have talked carpentry for a long time. But there are some, some differences. Both of them get told that God is doing something new. And they have very different reactions. So we've heard from Herod. Let's hear from Joseph. Um, this is from Matthew 1, 18 through 24. So we're jumping back in the story. Um, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. Before they came together, she, found, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Jesus woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded. He took Mary home as his wife. Okay, so now we're going to set the stage a little bit. We have the great King Herod and the good Joseph. Matthew describes him as good. And in my little Bible footnotes, that is translated uh, to mean someone who knew what to do. Someone who uh, was able to always do the right thing a righteous man, a good man. So, we're still in English class. Here are the three things that I took away. Maybe these are the three things you're taking away, maybe not, but you get to hear from me because I have the mic on. Uh, the first thing that struck me is the great. Herod is Herod the Great. He was admired, he was concerned with being admired, and when his greatness was threatened, even by the smallest, humblest, technically like footnote thing, he freaks out. When I paused and thought about it, 
I had to kind of confront that we admire the great people, the great people, in quote. Not people that are just like, wow, you're so great at that. The great people. We want our lives to be great, right? We want to be the great at something, at everything. We're all motivated by different forms of greatness. I want that. Look back at my earlier story about that child telling me that I did not know what I was talking about. That only hit so deep because I genuinely wanted to be the great. And it went beyond me just wanting to make sure that the kids heard the Bible story. I wanted them to leave and go home and tell their parents that they were like, that was the greatest Bible lesson of all time. I wanted the other people at staff, on staff with me, to recognize that I was the great. It went beyond what I was supposed to be doing and became about me. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we all have something that that happens to us in. Because it's nice to be the great. Herod had a great, like, life. He was the great one. I want my face on money. Like, it's great. Uh, for Her Herod is told about Jesus. It's, it's, it's the biggest thing to happen, right? But it's still such a small thing. And he can't be excited. Or bare minimum, he can't even really be interested in it. He can't even pause to ask a question about it because his greatness is threatened. And his greatness is so fragile, it's so constructed, that even news about a baby from a prophet that he does not believe is enough to push him to unthinkable means to protect himself. God's story can feel threatening to the story we want for ourselves, too. It threatens our comfort zones and the story we're trying to tell for our own life. Sometimes God's ask of us to be humble gets in the way of what we're trying to do. That was the first thing that struck me. The second thing is that, first of all, Joseph is so ungreat that we've done so many Christmas sermons and stories and we often don't even talk about him. We just kind of miss him, right? He's so not the great one in compared with Mary and the shepherds, and the angels, and these magi on camels. Like, Joseph is an important part of the story, but he kind of is here just for this short time. But the difference, as we look at the comparison between Herod and Joseph, the real difference, other than probably a lot of things about how they grew up and all the things, the real difference is that they are told that Jesus is coming, and Joseph knows how to listen to God. Joseph is in the habit and the practice of hearing God's voice, so that when he's told, you're on, spotlight's on you, he does not miss it, and he knows what to do. Uh, to put Joseph's listening to God in a little context, I kind of just like, this is, this is what, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and then call him Emmanuel, in order for that one sentence thing that we built a lot of our faith God needed to find a man who would marry a girl pregnant with somebody else's child. Face ridicule and a lot of suspicion. A lot of people talk about how Joseph behind his back. Um, he abstained from sexual relations with his new wife until the baby was born. Raised the child knowing the whole time that he has the responsibility of raising the Messiah, the thing, the person they've been waiting for. Uh, leave his home, his family, his job, and move to a foreign country, and then move back. Uh, become a fugitive on the run and continue to stay in a small town with a bad reputation and not have any ambition to move up. 
I would not have done that. <laughs> that is a, a, a tall order. Um, I, I find it hard to listen to God like when the stakes are a little lower. For example, going back to that, that camp job that I was so great at, um, in 2021, I heard God's voice saying, it's time to move on. And I heard him, but I did not listen. I was not ready to leave a space where I felt important and revered and powerful, effective. And genuinely, it feels really good to have people tell you, you're the great campers and other summer staff members. They wanted to, to be like me. And a good portion of that came from the fact that I was good at that job. But a good portion from that came from the fact that I continued to build up this Olivia the Great persona. And leaving was scary and not what I had planned. And what happened was, while I didn't stoop to like Herod levels of evil or, you know, murder, uh, it did create a process that was kind of messy and people did get hurt and I got hurt. It strained relationships with people I really cared about and ultimately it created a situation where not only was I not the great anymore, but I wasn't even doing a good job anymore. So now, in stark contrast, let's look at how good of a job Joseph did. <laughs> uh, in Matthew 2, 13 through 15, uh, Matthew shares the rest of the story. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. So he got up. He took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where they stayed until the death of Herod. And so it was fulfilled that the Lord had said through the prophets, out of Egypt, I will call my son. Joseph knows how to listen to God. Joseph knows how to obey God. And up until this point, not a day really passed that he wasn't doing that. And so when God's requests got bigger, Joseph could do it. He was selfless and loving, and I... I I think about what it would be like to wake up from a dream where you're told, move to Egypt because you are going to be killed. And how scary that would be. But how Joseph patiently waits on the Lord. He adapts and he takes on responsibility that's really quite intense. And he proves himself trustworthy, dependable, sensible. Again, so much so that we miss him. There's no question, there's no pause. Joseph just goes and he does it. And I'm not a dad, but I think being a dad to the Messiah would be a thing that maybe you'd want to ask a couple questions about. But Joseph trusted that when God needed him, God would ask. Joseph, like I said, is so accustomed to listening to God's voice every day that when he, God speaks, he recognizes it and he knows when he's presented with the role of the lifetime and he's not afraid. When I finally chose to listen to God in my small stakes, no Messiah, no king trying to kill me situation, um, it's not as effortless as Joseph. It took uh, Jake, my husband, helping me hear God's voice. It took my parents. It took my table group and my friends uh, helping me to hear God's voice, choosing to listen to it, and moving forward with the instructions that God was giving me which is where we come to the third thing that kind of struck me as I read over this part of the Bible. It's that in this epiphany story, 
God kind of goes out of his way to invite people into the story. Whether it's through angels or stars or prophets or men on camels, God lets each person know of the role they've been cast in. And they get to play a part. Which, when you think about the greatness of God, how great is our God? The fact that he's inviting these randos into the story to play integral parts blows my mind. And it makes me feel hopeful. Um, When God sends the Magi with the good news to Herod, Herod, like we said, reaches out to oppose God's purpose. He decides he's not going to uh, receive that news positively and is going to play the part of the bad guy. When uh, Joseph hears it, he is humble. God calls out to a humble and quiet man. And because Joseph is listening and ready to obey, he is a front row seat to this story. Uh, All of Herod's power, wealth, and influence, all of his attempts to be the great, are not enough to defeat one carpenter's obedience. He's powerless against one person's willingness to listen to God. Now, that's, it's fair if your reaction right now is like, Olivia, this is a little bit cheesy. Oh, God invites us into the story. And it, it, yeah, it is. But in my experience, it's true. Uh, you know, I was called on God to do a thing that I did not want to do, that was threatening to me, that was hard to listen to, that was my out of Egypt moment. And when I got to their side, here stands another part of my story that God pretty graciously invites me into. So, what are you trying to be the great at? Right? We've got Herod the Great, Joseph the Good. Maybe it's the great perfect parent who looks effortless and Instagrammable instead of being the the good parent who embraces each day with their child, even when it isn't perfect. Maybe you're trying to be the great perfect employee or teacher or student who does everything perfectly and is better off than everyone else. Instead of being the one who lifts others up, gives others opportunities, succeeds, and is okay with playing an unnoticed part. Maybe we're trying to be the good and perfect Christian who looks righteous, who knows it all, instead of listening to what God actually asks of us, which is to not get all the praise and affirmation, but to just humbly listen every day, trusting that maybe someday a big part will come along, but maybe not. Maybe that lesson that I was teaching those six-year-olds actually was making an impact, and maybe not. But since then, I've gotten to talk to a lot more kids and a lot more people, and I'm a lot more humble about it. And just the fact that I said I'm a lot more humble about it probably means I have a little bit further to go. (laughs) But what I'm asking myself, and I want you to ask yourselves after looking at this story is, you know, when God invites you in, when God wants to use you, are you going to seek to be the great or the good? When God asks me to show up, do I care about being Olivia the Great, who people remember and talk about? Or do I care about listening to that small voice that probably won't come accompanied by camels and angels and trumpets? 
Do I want to put the work in every day to be good, to know what to do, to be righteous, and to act humbly? I'm going to try. It's still kind of a new year. So I'm going to try this year to seek to be the good and not the great. It's time to pray, but I'm going to warn you right now. We're going to pray the way we pray back at the kids' table, which is I'm going to say a line, and you're going to repeat it after me. So you can go ahead and get into whatever posture you get into when you pray, and we'll pray together. Dear God.